This is an ABC podcast. You're about to hear a little boulangerie visit I made to Loon Croissanterie. Uh, and just to note, this chat involves a brief discussion about eating disorders. It's a beautiful day uh, in Fitzroy, in Melbourne. I'm in Rose Street, which is where you will find Loon, allegedly the home of the world's finest croissants, and where you will find that extraordinary and unique feature, I think, the, the Loon queue. Any given day, people will be here queuing to buy a croissant. Why is that? Hello. Um, Sorry. That's all right. You're texting. Yeah, saying maybe not. It's not exactly moving quickly if you're wondering why I'm standing in a queue. Well, I was. I'm from the ABC. (laughs) (laughs) Why why, why are you queuing for a croissant? Because I'm working from home around the corner and I said to my parents, uh, to my husband, do you feel like a loon croissant? And I wasn't expecting this. So now I'm actually going to leave and go somewhere else. Oh. So I'm the wrong. That wasn't the answer I I know. I know. (laughs) Sorry. That'll do. I'm not that patient. Hello. I'm from the ABC. Why are you queuing for baked goods? Uh, Because my uh, lovely friend here um, suggested we should come here. They've what? come from Queensland. Oh, so this is a bit of a tourist destination. Well, I just got them off the plane and I thought they need to figure out what good croissants taste like. And the, you're, you're familiar with the Loon croissant? Yep. What makes it so good? Um, I think they take their time in what they do and they present it really well. Worth queuing for? Yeah. How, what's the longest you've queued for a croissant? Oh, not, not obnoxiously long. <laughs> All right, well, enjoy. I hope your Queensland friends are impressed. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. All right, here we go and have a look. So I've come inside, and I'm here here to meet the loon lady herself, Kate Reid. Kate has just made sure that I've got coffee, and she has whisked away to get me a croissant. Because I'm definitely somebody that believes in there being... Did you say hand-selected? Hand-selected. Chose this out of thousands. I chose it out of thousands for you. (laughs) And I haven't brought a knife because I feel like you're just going to bite into it. I'm going to have a a bit of a hack. (laughs) A bit of a hack. I love that. Tell me about this croissant, Kate. Just describe this to me with your expert eye. Oh, we're already on? We are. Oh, okay. So... The way you start, you have a big lump of dough yes. and a big sheet of butter. Yes. And you flatten the dough out and you start to incorporate the butter in by essentially folding it into like the dough. Like making puff pastry, but a bit exactly. more delicate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So a loon croissant doesn't, it has one less turn than a classic recipe for croissant, which means the gluten is developed slightly less, so it's a little bit more delicate and not as tough. Okay. And... Because the, the more you work that, the more you are... That's exactly right. Mucky with the chemistry of the flour. Exactly. Mm. Um, also, you can tell that the layers are fractionally thicker than the recipe for a classic croissant, which gives you, like, when you picked that up, already it was, like, crackly and breaking. Yes. But if three turns had have been used, the crumb, like, these beautiful big flakes would be a lot finer and they'd, like, shatter into tiny little bits. But I like big, crunchy bits of croissant. 
It's not very, very technical, is it? That'd be crunchy bits. I think that is the, yeah. the authorised phrase. Big, buttery, crunchy There must bit. be some French, you know, government body which de- determines the appropriate phraseology for describing a croissant. I have no doubt that that, that government that body exists. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and baking, and, and this is so true of croissants and so true from, from what I see in your book too, which is the, the translation of this process for, for home use. Even so, it is tremendously specific. Very. And I think the, the, the really challenging thing is, and maybe this is more on a commercial level than a home level, mm. But the cheapest ingredient we have at Loon is the fresh yeast. Like, we spend an absolute fortune on butter. We buy the best quality eggs and milk. We source specific flour. So the yeast is by far the cheapest ingredient. But it's almost the most critical in determining the success of the end product. And when you put the yeast into the dough on day one... You don't know until day three when you pull it out of the prover and you're ready to bake it if there's something wrong with that yeast. How hard was it to, to sort of scale up this business? It's, I mean, and, and keep that particularity about it, keep that attention to the detail. The... Well, I think the, the, the balance is maintaining the quality and, and the attention to detail, but finding ways to find efficiency mm-hmm. without affecting the quality and that hasn't just been me like I think if Loon if, if I hadn't have invited my brother to come and be part of Loon I might still be in Elwood obsessing over making 200 croissants a day as perfect as I possibly can but like the process that I used back then has evolved so much in the last 10 years that like the chefs that you see in the cube right now yeah. And it they is a cube. It's a glass cube that they're yeah. on display. It's beautiful. A climate-controlled glass cube. Of course. <laughs> well, how much of that did you learn in, in Formula One, which well, is, goes to your origin story? Well, course, that entire process of testing, experimentation, iteration, improvement is engineering way of thinking. And that's why it's it's not common for a bakery to challenge the status quo of a classic recipe. See, in, the, in that cube, you could be you could be making croissants or you could be stripping down a, a V10 engine. A V10. Well, that's what we do. That that's what we do after we close. <laughs> it actually, the space in the cube for me, in a funny way, is very reminiscent of the the area. Like I, I can't, don't actually remember what it was called. I guess it was a garage of some format, but where they kept the race cars. It was. It's similar to like the race bay, I guess. I think that's what it was called. It was so spotless that you could have eaten your dinner off the floor. Like, and and they yeah. would have no. the race car. Almost, almost as a deconstructed explosion of like the perfect. You know when you see those exploded engineering drawings. That's what it was. But it, in, in in real life. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was so exacting, spotless. The attention to detail, like there was, there was no room for distraction. It was pretty special. I mean, people must find that that transition of yours endlessly fascinating. And yet. As, as you point out, I can see the connections. The, there is sort of a straight line through this. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've had a lot of journalists laugh at me in the past, like, well, Formula One to croissants, that's ridiculous. But I'm not... Slower. I'm, well, I'm not, te- I'm not <laughs> testing croissants in the wind tunnel yet. <laughs> Mind you, now that you say that. <laughs> I mean, I think the nice thing is, though, that there's a there's there's a, a, a large arc towards the impossibility of perfection with croissants. Totally, and like also, no one's ever going to perfect it. And 
that's I guess that's one of the. So what the, you make will fall somewhere on it. I mean, it, it, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And also, even if you completely mess up your lamination in the process, or you've accidentally picked a day that it's forty degrees and and nothing's staying solid, aka butter. There are recipes in the book that will still lend themselves to a delicious finished product, mm. and I'm squarely looking at the quinamon in this case. Even if your lamination is terrible, if you shape a quinamon with your pastry, when you pull it out of the oven, it will be the most delicious thing you've ever pulled out of your oven at home. That and it will make the house smell amazing. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of a win-win situation. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is a thing to be tried. And I guess the thing too, if you... And, and, and be prepared to fail and be prepared yep. to have terrible outcomes. Well, I did. I tried yes. it a couple of times yes. when I got home from France. I bought some books that had recipes for the home cook and they were unmitigated disasters. And then I went and spent all my life savings and set up Loon on the back of that. But why did you make that switch to, from, from Williams to the Boulangerie? Oh, it, that's a that's a big that's a big story. But um, in a nutshell, I thought that everything that I wanted that was fulfilling in a career, and I'm somebody that needs to be driven on a daily basis by how I spend my every waking minute. I thought that you I would have get... a certain amount of energy about you, <laughs> just to be said. What I talk a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that I would get. Um, everything that I needed out of a career in Formula One to feel completely fulfilled and unfortunately it wasn't the case and because I am such a driven person and I found myself in a situation and an environment that I've worked so hard to get to and I'd taken myself to the other side of the world like I'm incredibly close with my family who all live here in Melbourne and I'd put myself as far away as I could possibly be from my beautiful support network and my family. You ended up quite psychologically fragile. Very. Uh, I, it was never diagnosed, but I'm, I'm 100% certain that um, I developed depression, but then depression did turn into anorexia and I became really sick. And the ironic thing about an eating disorder is that you can't stop thinking about food. It seems logical, like if you're yeah. starving your body, your body's just sending signals to your brain all day telling you to think about eating food. And you don't dream about eating a leaf of lettuce. Like, no one dreams about that. Oh, I mean, I love baked goods. Yeah. So, yeah. not specifically a croissant, but like, that's what my brain was always going to. And so instead of eating it, I'd get home from a day at work where I'd felt feel completely unfulfilled and I'd go home and bake and I'd pick out a different recipe every night and I'd, I would start to get a bit experimental with it and I'd live vicariously through this process of working with raw ingredients, you know, like flour, sugar and eggs. You can't eat them raw by themselves, but through the magic of science of baking, you end up with a product that is so much greater than the sum of its parts. So, I mean, when did that tweak to you that, yes, actually... Here is the thing. This is the thing that I can, I need to learn about. I mean, I think your instinct would be that I need to get expertise here. Yeah. Well, I think. All right. So it's, it gets sad before it gets happy. Okay. Um, I, I was so unwell that my dad had to fly to the UK to bring me home. And good dad will do that. My dad's the best. Don't get me started on my dad. I'll get emotional. <laughs> my mum and my dad are the best. So dad came over, packed up my life, and flew me back to Australia. 
but again, somebody that still needs to fill their every waking minute with something that they love. The day I landed, I looked in the, I don't know if anyone out there will remember this or if it still exists, the Leader newspaper. Yes. Does that still exist? It doesn't, but... Some it of doesn't. Us will remember. I think local, it used to be on local newspapers. Yeah, local yes. newspaper, <laughs> where they would have a little section where they listed job ads for local businesses. Okay. And Philippa's in Armadale, the beautiful Philippa's in Armadale. Lovely bakery. I love it. I still like their olive Toscano for me is still the best bread out there. They were advertising for a counter hand, not a pastry chef, but I thought it's my chance to just dip my toe in the industry and see if I like it. So I applied for the job. I'm pretty sure I. I'm someone that's so full of passion that I could talk myself into any job. I managed to talk myself into a job where nine hours a day I was going to stand behind a bakery counter and put myself in the most torturous position possible, like surrounded by all this food that I wasn't letting myself eat. But So I got this job at Philippa's and I absolutely adored it, but the only thing that just drove me nuts was that I wasn't making what we were selling. And that was enough of an indication to me that I really wanted to pursue a career as a pastry chef. And that meant Paris. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's actually a really nice story to how I ended up in Paris. I'd sort of, like, this whole period of time, I was on a slow road to recovery. But um, I'd started, I'd gotten a job working at this beautiful little local cafe making all their cakes and biscuits and stuff. But I was starting to get a bit bored by the simplicity of that style of baking and getting a bit more interested in French pastry because it's so technical. And I bought a book on Amazon and had it delivered to my home. I came home from work one day and there's this beautiful book about Paris patisseries. And I opened it up randomly to this double page of Pan au Chocolat. (laughs) And like you could see every, like, you know, when I brought the croissant over to you, you could see all the layers. But this was so zoomed, like a macro zoom in of every perfect layer. And I was probably hypnotized by the photo walked up to Flight Centre in Camberwell and immediately booked myself a ticket to Paris. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then when I was in Paris, I went into the boulangerie where the photo had been taken. Yeah. And I told the story in broken French to the vendeurs that a photo of their pan au chocolat had prompted me to book the trip that I was on to Paris. And she went and got the owner. He spoke English. I told him. He wrapped up all these pastries for me. I went and sat on the steps of Montmartre and... Ah. ate them. It was like it was like being in Amelie or something, I don't know. It was a very romantic setting. It is. And I was so taken by the experience I'd had in the boulangerie and the beauty of the pastries that I'd eaten. And also just witnessing this little queue that was just constant in the bakery and mm. had this realisation that every single person that was standing in the, that queue was having this little moment of joy with like this interaction with First of all, buying the pastry, being surrounded by the beauty of the boulangerie and the smells that were in there, and then getting to walk out and for 10, 10 or 15 minutes, this moment of happiness while they ate something that, that they'd looked forward to. I'm like, that, that guy gets to give this to several hundred people a day. That's like, nice. Pretty special. So I emailed him. I went, like, I'd caught the train down to Salah, which is in the Dordogne, um, the, the next day. And this is in the day where there's, like, no smartphones and there's an internet room in a hotel. (laughs) But, like, this was a pokey hotel and it was, like, a broom closet with, you know, this old computer with dial-up internet. So I log on and I go to the website of the boulangerie and they've got a contact form. And so I just write this impassioned email to this guy thanking him for the pastries and just saying, 
how he was so lucky because his job gives him the opportunity to make people happy every day. And we had a, a couple of back and forth emails and I finally plucked up the courage and said, oh, I don't suppose you'd ever take me on as an apprentice. He said, well, you know, at the Boulangerie, we have no one that speaks English and it's very small. We don't normally do that. But for some reason, I can see the same passion and motivation in you that is in me. Yes, when do you want to start? Wow. So <laughs> that's when my love affair of the croissant really started. Okay. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. Thanks. Sorry, I well, banged I, on a bit there. No, but here, <laughs> but, but here you are doing precisely what you what you admired, yeah. which, which you saw as the possibility in, in that, that Boulangerie. Your own. <laughs> Sometimes I have little moments where I get to step back and I think it was a few years ago on a random Monday afternoon and I walked into this space in Fitzroy and there was a bum on every seat and people just enjoying croissants all throughout the shop and I just had this little like, wow, oh my God, <laughs> this is my place, what? <laughs> That was such a nice moment. Okay. What a treat to meet you. And, and thank you for sharing that, that beautiful story. Oh, thank you so much for having a chat to and me. The, and the croissant, of course. Oh, and the croissant. And the coffee. <laughs> I'm so delight. glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thanks to Kate Reed at Loon. And her book, Loon Croissants All Day, All Night, is out now. Uh, and if you or anyone you know is experiencing body image concerns or an eating disorder, you can call the Butterfly Foundation National Helpline on 1800 334 673 or email support at butterfly.org.au or chat online via butterfly.org.au. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.